Listening Dog Media. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Athletic. Hello and welcome back to The Offside Rule, a weekly podcast that aims to entertain, inform and shape debate by analysing the hottest topics in the world of football. Hang on a minute, what am I saying? It's just three women having a gossip about oh. football. None of that complicated <laughs> stuff. Uh, I'm Kate Borsay, hello. And with the king of all competitions, the Champions League returning this week, it gives me great pleasure to introduce the queen of our screens. It's Hayley McQueen. Oh, thank you. That's the only that's the only reason I have that surname, just so that I get I get bigged up in such a manner as that. Yes, Thanks. such a good surname. Thanks. It's such a brilliant one. I, I I'm a bit down on Hooper, to be honest. Well, my kid's surname is Brown, and they are going through a stage of really hating it, which is quite embarrassing, oh. really, when it isn't my surname. It's their dad's surname, but they're just going through I don't want to be called Brown, it's boring. Uh so uh yeah. Uh, we're having much debate in our household whether it's appropriate to let a 12 and a 7-year-old change their surname, uh, mainly for my son's football team that he's joining. He wants a oh. different name on the back of his shirt, oh. you see. <laughs> oh. um, uh, you heard her there completing today's lineup. As ever, it's a woman who has no doubt spent more hours on the road than Chelsea or Manchester City this week. Our very own Duracell Bunny, the unstoppable Lindsay Hooper. Hello. Hello. And on surnames... I interviewed Lewis Dunk last week before Mm. Brighton played um, Leicester and beat them 5-2. And he said to me, I'm going to score a goal. I am going to score a goal in that match. So I put him in my fantasy team. Yes, they scored five. Lewis Dunk didn't score any. But the press officer said to me, with his name Dunk and me being Hooper, had he scored, he would have slam dunked. The hoop. Yeah, hoop. Yeah. I see. Yeah, it's more visual. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I thought that you were going to say, talking about names, I interviewed Lewis Dunk, and actually it turns out he's Dunk and not Dunk or some, you know, revelation that we always get at this time of the season where a player turns around and says, actually, my name's this. Yeah. No, more, more about the link between Dunk and Hoop. Yeah. Dunk and yeah. Hoops, like yeah. it. Um, all right, well, listen, if you are listening and you'd like to subscribe, you can do so via your favourite podcasting app. Join us on Twitter at Pod, and our brilliant website features loads of great content, opinions, there's a full rundown, big preview of all the group stages of the Champions League. OffsideRulePodcast.com for that. Coming up on the show with one of the goals of the season ruled out on Sunday. You were there, weren't you, Linz, by a controversial VAR call. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the greatest goals that never were. And with the World Cup looming, we're going to analyse which England players are chomping at the bit and which will need a bit more time to get themselves ready for this, well, potentially career-defining tournament. So we'll work through the movers and shakers in that. But first, with a once lesser known club on the South Coast continuing to make waves, we ask a Brighton, the Premier League's best run club. I'm a big, absolutely big fan of Graham Potter. Big fan when we faced them for the first time when it was in Swansea. Uh, everyone playing his position, the ball come in the position, not the players move. Uh, freedom and everybody knows what you have to do, the courage to play everywhere. I like I like Good question to pose this one, and it's a terrific ascent that they're having. Just five years on from making their Premier League debut in August 2017, Brighton, well, they're going from strength to strength, aren't they? Four wins in six games so far this season. They sit in fourth as we record this, two points off leaders Arsenal. But how did the club do it? How did the club that spent nine seasons this century in the third tier or below established themselves as one of the Premier League's most impressive outfits. So we're going to break down what makes the Seagulls so successful. And actually, Linz, I'm going to come to you first of all on this one, because I know you've got some behind the scenes insight into the way the club's structured, the way they run behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to talk about the manager at some point with Graham Potter. And clearly they gave him a long term deal. They knew what he was capable of. I have spent quite a bit of time at Brighton at the start of this season. And it is funny because you have a wry smile, but he's clearly got this bit of a Birmingham twang. Um, I very much relate to him when, when I see him because I've got that bit of a twang as well in there somewhere. And he said previously in interviews about if his if he was Spanish and his name was slightly more exotic, <laughs> then I'm sure he'd be linked with every top job going in world football. And I wonder, that's probably true. Why but is he has that? Got- he has got the same surname as a very well-known wizard. So, yes, that's you true. Know, let's, that not, let's not take it away. Yeah, true. I mean, I, I was at the celebration parade. When you say five years on, Kate, I, for Premier League Productions, stood in front of the celebration bus that was touring through Brighton, celebrating them yeah. being back in the top flight. And I must admit, having been there doing that feature, I was talking to camera. In the back of my head, I was thinking they'll probably go down next season. I've got to be honest. And here we are, and they're still there. So let's talk about behind the scenes. I'll let someone else take all the glory bits, but let's talk about some of the people that don't get any of the glory. And I think the recruitment strategy is brilliant. Now, 
you dig deep and you probably, up until February when he resigned and went to Newcastle, would have thought, oh, it's all about Dan Ashworth because the club recruited Dan Ashworth to oversee things. And he'd clearly been one of the the head honchos at the FA, got very good links, did a very good job. So all of the players that have just been a mass exodus from Brighton that they've earned a lot of money on, people like Eve Basuma, Kukurea, they've had so many, haven't they, over recent years that they've just sold on. And that's the model that the club want to work to. Mm. They want to make money that way and then reinvest. So don't think poor old Brighton getting all their players stripped. They want that to happen. And if it does, it's deemed a mark of success. And up until February, when when Dan Ashworth resigned to go to Newcastle as their now sporting director, I thought, oh, it's all about him. It's about a person. But actually, it's not. It's about the structure. So if you listen, or there's Tony Bloom does quite a few interviews. Um, there's a few articles as well you can read from him. He brought seven different departments together. And what it means is it isn't really about individuals. It's about the way that the club runs. So if somebody departs, in one of those major departments that run the football club, it can carry on. So David Weir came in to replace and succeed Dan Ashworth. Gordon Greer is now the Pathway Development Manager. And Paul Winstanley and Carl McCauley are this team in recruitment. And together, they're the ones that have been working away, bridging some of the deals that they've managed to get over the line, but also looking at bringing through players that have been in the academy. And the other thing, Kate, that I would say that I've really noticed about Brighton is, and I think this does come from Graham Potter, is they don't rush anything. There's always a longer term plan. I think this is where they set themselves apart because I think football, like so many industries now, like media, like so many others, it's reactionary. It's like what's happened at Manchester United, which I'm sure Hayley mm. will be nodding along, but you know, mm-hmm. they've reacted to things, got someone in. What Brighton do is they look at things for four, five, six years ahead. So McAllister, who did score that wonderful goal that was ruled out, which will lead to one of our other topics, but also scored two other goals on Sunday. He's been there on loan, working away. They've made sure that he's gotten got his minutes under his belt before he was ready to come in more permanently in the first team. He isn't the only example. It happened with Tyreek Lamptey. It's happened with so many players and new players as well, like Casado that they brought in. They, they've got quite a lot of South American players on their books, but all of them go out on loan before they're given more game time. I could wax lyrical. I'm sorry that I've gone on so long, but it's just to say that it's all about that forethought. And I think those departments all come in together. If they do lose some key personnel in terms of staff, I think that the structure means that it will still work. And so many people know this already, but it's part of a longer term project, their style of play as as it is behind the scenes as well, to develop Brighton into a top 10 team in the Premier League. That is the aim. That is the clear goal. And that's why it's good to think about planning, to have that long-term plan in place. Um, Hayley, what have you been looking at? I've just been looking at how the man at the top, their chairman, took a massive gamble and it's paid off. But it was a very clever gamble. I had no idea that Tony Bloom was a professional gambler. I did not know that. That's no, what I he, didn't. yeah. And he has an astute history of data management as well. So he studied gambling and made a hell of a lot of money from it. He's obviously a businessman now. He has a business. I'll tell you about that in a second. But data and the way that it's run and how to gamble and whether a gamble will pay off or not is something that he studies. 
believe it or not. He's used Brighton literally like a game and it's paying off. I don't know if anyone's seen Moneyball or read Moneyball that's listening into this, but he he's operated the club like a professional poker player. Star Lizard is his company. Now they sell data to professional gamblers in the same way that a company like Opta sells data to the media. Now they're very savvy because he looks at players coming in and out of the club and decides whether it's gonna be a gamble or not. And even if it doesn't pay off, he's got something else up his sleeve. They have the advantage in the fact that they own their own data. So every other club in English football has to buy their data from Opta, from Prozone or, or, or similar companies to that. But Brighton, they generate their own data through Star Lizard and they don't have to pay a single penny. I just thought it was really interesting mm, about nice. how he works. And with the recruitment as well, they, they've bought quite a lot of cheap gems. They've, they've turned a £10 million profit on Dan Byrne. Lamptey cost just over £1 million. Trossard, £14 million. Uh, Moises Casado, 4.5. They made £42 million on Kukurea in just one season. He's been very clever with bringing people in on loan. Levi Colwell, for an example. And Billy Gilmore as well. He's, he's He had signed... I thought this was just a loan deal, but he's in for nine million pounds. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think they're one of the few clubs uh, who've sold three of their best players, Cucurella, Basuma, and Malpay, and, and actually turned out with a better team this season. How mm. do you do that? It is, it is a terrific, uh, terrific feat. It's going obviously really well for the club this season. And actually, mentioned Billy Gilmore, um, and one of the big assets to this club, as we know, uh, is the manager. And we've touched on this already with Graham Potter. But when you listen to the reasons why players like Gilmore decided to move, you know, from a big club like Chelsea, he's credited them with having a strong passing game. We know that Brighton have got the best possession rates in the league as well. A really good defensive structure. They actually managed to shapeshift, don't they, <laughs> with each game so that they're not predictable. And that's a real credit to them. Teams just don't know how they're going to set up. You never really know who you're going to play against. Um, so that's a great credit to them as well. Um, in terms of Graham Potter, look, he's had plenty of admirers, hasn't he? Uh, it made that comment you were referencing, Lindsay, about if he'd had a Spanish name, he would be attracting uh, a lot more offers. But we know that teams like Man U, they were urged to look at him after Brighton beat them 4-0 back in May. Everton were uh, urged to look at him as well to replace Benitez. But at the moment, um, he's not going anywhere. Uh, him and his beard, his strong beard game. Uh, he is um, absolutely all about getting the best out of Brighton. And I love the way as well that every single player can play at least two or three positions, sort of referencing what I was mentioning earlier. It's that Guardiola-esque way of um, being able to put players in different positions and developing young talent as well. Um, there's a lot to credit him for. Uh, what else can we think of? I just want to mention something that, that Lindsay said about the departments and when you lose a, a certain member, they make sure that that person is, is replaced. And I think what's been very clever at Brighton is they haven't just let the whole coaching staff be replaced every time there's a new manager. So, for example, when Chris Hewton left, the nucleus of, of, of his backroom staff, they stayed together. They've been in it for the long term. So, yes... They lost Dan Ashworth, but all the people around have still been at the club. They, OK, people move on, that there will be changes made. But unlike when you've got a manager who comes in, who brings all his own people with him, Brighton don't allow that to happen. And I definitely something's, you know, think something's got to be said about that. Anything else from you, Lynn? I, 
think I just want to finish on the fact that as a net spend, the club have spent £59 million since Potter arrived at the club. Mm. £59 million. Uh, yeah, back I in 2019, which is incredible. anyone can compete with it, no. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, well done, Brighton. We, we've, we've been showing our love uh, for the Seasiders here on the show and uh, they certainly deserve it. Flying high at the moment in the Premier League. Let's move on to our next topic then. Amazingly, only 10 more rounds of Premier League fixtures until the World Cup kicks off in Qatar. So it feels right, doesn't it, to check in on who might be in the England team and look at how they're doing domestically so far this season. It kicks off in uh, just 75 days' time, the tournament. And actually, Southgate needs to name his squad on October the 19th. So what, (gasps) six weeks? Not long at all, is there really? When you think about it, England's first game is against Iran on November the 21st. So let's run through some of the different contenders here. Shall we start with the players who we feel are in good form, nailed on to go, got no problem about them at all. And then we'll move on to those that have got to do more and those for whom it looks pretty desperate. And that's not just for them, by the way. That also gives Gareth Southgate a big selection headache. Hayley, let's start with you and a player who is definitely going to go. Jordan Pickford, not only is he going to go, I think he's going to be absolutely the number one. And he's kind of come through a little bit of a patch where there were a few question marks over him. But he had excellent form at the back end of last season. That's headed into this campaign. He saved 84% of the efforts on target. That's the best record in the league. Those stats if you're breaking it down statistically, ahead of Nick Pope. Now, do you remember there was a big decision over who was going to start in goal for England, the World Cup, just, you know, not too not too long ago. Jordan Pickford did look to have a bit of an eye and grip on this number one shirt since the, the World Cup squad of, of 2018. But Aaron Ramsdale, Pope, Dean Henderson as well, who've actually just got 12 caps between them compared to the Everton keepers, 45, have all been in great form. Southgate has actually stuck by Pickford even when Everton, his form had been in a little bit of a, a, a question. He's had an upturn in performances since he's had this confidence instilled into him. Um, he's actually got fewer clean sheets than two of the other keepers, Nick Pope, one of them, and conceded more goals than both Ramsdale and Pope since the start of last season. But, 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 but he has played more games. So statistically... Mm. And that could be more about Everton than about Pitford specifically, he's right? Been, up against it that little bit more. Yes, remember he had to make eight saves during the Merseyside derby, didn't he, last weekend? Lindsay, for you, um, which other players are nailed on to go? Declan Rice. Declan Rice will be there for sure. I look around the team. I think Raheem Sterling will be nailed on as well. Um, Making that move to Chelsea probably was all about getting more game time and ensuring that he was part of that squad in Qatar. Shall I leave Harry Kane for you? I mean, we know. Well, I mean, Harry Kane, not much to kind of say there really, um, apart from he's 
he's in terrific form, isn't he? Five goals in his first six league games of the season. Looks sharp. We know he's got big tournament experience. So yeah, I've got no kind of worries in that department too. Uh, we know he's likely to go. Lindsay, what about players that have had a really good start to the season who maybe haven't featured in an England team before or, or who have only made sort of peripheral appearances? Well, I'm sure people are going to mention who goes with Harry Kane. I'll leave you and Hayley to discuss that because Ivan Tony clearly has been in great form and there'll, there'll be other contenders. What I do want to say, and one of those is in the striking position, is that often we close down the hatches and forget all the players that are outside of England. They're outside of the Premier League, but playing really well. And the two players that I want to really flag up, and I think more so than the other one, is probably in defence for Kayo Tamori, who's at AC Milan. Just been uh, given a five-year bumper deal. I mean, he's impressed in Serie A so much. He's regarded as one of the top defenders in the league. I honestly think it would be criminal to overlook a player like him and the the form that he's been in. Now, we know that Gareth Southgate has been out to Italy scouting to make sure that the England players over there aren't being overlooked. It's just funny that it's probably less so Gareth Southgate and more so the media over here that just forgets, you know, anyone, as soon as someone jumps on a plane and goes somewhere else, we, we forget that they are also in contention for England. I mean, when we come back to others, you know, Jude Bellingham should be absolutely nailed on as well. The one that I think is a bit more up in the air is Tammy Abraham, probably because of that Ivan Tony form, because you wouldn't take both. I wouldn't think that you'd take both alongside Harry Kane. Now, it was quite unfortunate because Tammy Abraham, he has been brilliant for Roma, but he has recently got a shoulder injury. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, That's very recent. That's keeping him out currently. But Southgate went over to watch... And of all the games he could have gone to watch, he went to watch uh, Roma take on Udinese and Jose Mourinho's team got absolutely mauled. They lost 4-0. Abraham certainly didn't get on the score sheet and didn't see much of the ball. I don't know how much that has dented his mm, hopes. Tricky. But yeah, he uh, he didn't have the best shop window. Mm. <laughs> in, when we occasion. talk about... Um, other players who have started the season off really well. You've mentioned Ivan Tony, leads Jack Harrison as well, one that we should mention. One goal, three assists in six league games so far. Had a total of nine goals and assists uh, last season. I wonder whether it was a bit a bit weird. It felt really early on in the season, actually. He was taken off at halftime, wasn't he, in the defeat to Brentford at the weekend because Jesse Marsh said he was a bit tired. I just thought mm. that that was a bit odd. And kind of not the right impression at this time in the season. I would have been mightily annoyed if I was him. Uh, but the left winger has been involved in the England setup before. He earned two caps at under 21 while he was playing for New York City. I think eyes on Jack Harrison. You know, certainly Gareth Southgate might have to look, might have to be a bit inventive, might have to take a, a few players who haven't previously featured so much to try and accommodate uh, for some of the issues he has. And I'm, I'm going to go to you on this one, Hayley, because mm. he's got two big issues, really, mm. hasn't he, at the back in Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw? Oh, gosh. There are big players who played a big part in previous tournaments who I think are going to be bigger missions this time round. Yeah, goodness me, what do you do with the Maguire situation? Because as you mentioned, we, we don't have a couple of months to try and figure out whether... 
he's going to have an upturn in form. We don't have a couple of months to decide whether he's going to be um, actually even starting or Luke Shaw starting. The way things are going at the moment, if, if you want a player that's playing regularly and playing consistently and playing well, you're just not going to be picking Harry Maguire, are you? It is a real worry because it's potentially one of the last tournaments that they might be playing and okay they might have another euros ahead of them but as far as a world cup's concerned and to think they were you know two of england's best performers at euro 2020 but if they've lost their place for manchester united and, and, and united are playing really well and getting results with um Malassia and lisandra martinez playing together if they don't get their place back in the starting 11 for manchester united i just can't see well, it how looks, it looks Gareth really Southgate tricky yeah yeah it and that's it's that it's that confidence issue for Maguire and, and, and possibly a fitness issue for sure though I'm sure of course confidence is not going to be the highest having been dropped from that Man United side and and it's the manner in which they've lost game time as well in mm. fact uh, they've both only had 10 minutes of game time this season they featured in United's first two games mm. both defeats and then the four games since all wins They've not featured barely at all. Uh, so there's a very clear message there. You can't really debate with that. But also, you know, beyond Luke Shaw, this presents England and Southgate again with this left-back conundrum, which we had at Euro 2020 as well. And England aren't blessed with options in this area. Uh, for Euro 2020, we had Kieran Trippier in that position, didn't we? More naturally a right-back. Um, ben Chilwell was in that squad but failed to make it onto the field. He's had a knee injury since, missed the majority of last season, so I can't see that that's an option. Beyond Chilwell, the only left back, and do correct me if I'm wrong here, and, and, and by all means tweet into at Offside Rule Pod and give me some ideas, but beyond Chilwell, the only left back with recent international experience is Crystal Palace's Tyrek Mitchell. So where do you go with that left back? It's, it, you know, it is a really, really difficult conundrum for Gareth Southgate. Whilst we're talking big areas of concern, Lindsay, what's your take on Dominic Calvert-Lewin? This is an issue, isn't it? This is a problem. Yeah, I, he won't have enough game time. He won't have his match fitness uh, where it needs to be. I, I think already I've ruled out Dominic Calvert-Lewin uh, for this World Cup. The knee injury has certainly plagued him, but when he has come back into a side, maybe it is because it's it's been a tough time for Everton. You know, they were fighting relegation last season. They've already shown that they've got a lot to try and work on this season to not be in a relegation battle again. I don't know whether that's the best uh, way for Dominic Calvert-Lewin to come back in under that mm. pressure. I don't know whether the style as well that Lampard is now playing, clearly he's not had much game time under Lampard at all. So I, I can't see that drastically changing that situation between now and uh, the end of November. Look, I, I mentioned earlier, you probably wouldn't take Tammy Abraham and Ivan Tony and Harry Kane. Of course, Gareth Southgate could, he could do that. The reason why I don't think he would is I think if you add Raheem Sterling in there as a forward, then you've got more value from taking two because we know that if Kane is fit, he's going to play every game anyway. Mm -hmm. So just have a backup to Kane. I would go Kane and Tony at this precise moment. And I think you're much better off using the abundance of riches that we have in midfield, the likes of Jude Bellingham, Mason Mounts that can score goals from midfield. And but Mason Mounts in that. Yeah, but Mason Mount's an interesting one. Could he be a concern? He's failed to register a single goal or assist so far. 
for Chelsea this campaign. It was dropped for the win over West Ham last weekend. So if we're basing it on current form, and we know he's a big favourite of Gareth Southgate, we know he's been a you know really important part of that team. But could there be a concern about Mason Mount, just you know purely for how he started the season off? I certainly don't think he's nailed on because of that that fluctuation in form. I also think that. Tuchel's tried to change the system at Chelsea. So we've seen him now, a, a lot of teams have done this where they've dropped from going going with a back three to a back four and, and trying to um, pack out, you know, that, that area just behind the striker. And that suits Chelsea because they've got Havertz, Ziyech, Pulisic, who aren't out and out strikers. Um, now they've got Aubameyang, he can pack him behind to try and get goals. And, and that's, of course, competition with Mason Mount. Mm. Whereas I think in the system that they had last season, he had more freedom. He was more of a roaming number 10. I think, it, you know what? I think it's the same conundrum at the moment for Mason Mount as it is for Jack Grealish at City, which is if you take Jack Grealish when he was in his prime at Villa, he had freedom. And Mason Mount in his prime for England and Chelsea had freedom. I think some of that space has been taken by the change in system for both of them. So, and also obviously Jack Grealish, we've seen more as a wing player and I just don't know whether they're playing in their best best position at the minute but I don't think that Gareth Southgate will necessarily think that that means they don't go mm. I, I think he also has that loyalty factor and knows what players have done for him in the past Hayley final thought to you mm. just briefly players that have got work to do players that that should typically make the team but might still have a bit of work to do I mean, there is a bit of a worry because Liverpool didn't start the season well, nor did Jordan Henderson, but he has since been injured. So you will still take him. He's going to be absent until after the international break next month. Um, there's a ton of injuries at Liverpool at the moment. It's a big South issue in the midfield, isn't there, basically? Yes, uh, there is. It, it's, it's very early days. We were looking at some of the stats provided to us and, and it's only early days, but having a look, at the drop-off, 4% from 85% last season of his pass percentage. Last term, it was 81%. Okay, it's only 4%, but he does need to improve if he's going to make sure he's going to go to the World Cup. He's surely going to go. He's, you know, he's won 69 caps for them. He's he's an experienced player just to have him around, even if he's even if he's not back to absolute full fitness when, when Gareth Southgate names his squad, I'm pretty sure he'll be um, raring to go by the time the World Cup comes yeah. about and, and, and want to actually just take a little bit of a break from what's happening at Liverpool and, and focus on England. It's not that bad, is it? It is. Um, uh, yeah, look, <laughs> you can be absolutely sure that Jordan Henderson will work mm. his socks off to get ready in time. He knows what he's got to do. He's experienced. Um, yeah, he will. He will absolutely meet that challenge unless further injury means he can't. Let us know your thoughts, please, at Offside Rule Pod. If you would like to either give us a player that you are, or players that you're concerned about for that squad, players that are being overlooked that should be included, um, or players that need to do more, let us know what you think. Quick plug as well for the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, which returns. There's a preview out. Uh, the season starts on the 10th of September, so you can get ahead of the game and find out exactly what you need to know ahead of a new WSL season. Lindsay Hooper is joined by women's football journalist Rich Laverty and the person who commentated on that famous Chloe Kelly goal at the Euros final, Robin Cowan. Woo-hoo. 
been asked about and has to hear herself back several times over uh, each <laughs> week. Uh, there's also exclusive interviews with Man City's Vicky Lasada, the ex-Barca captain, and West Ham's Kirsty Smith and Lucy Parker. I won't be doing the WSL. I was just going to say, there's someone missing. I know, I know. Big um, news. Yes, well, transfer news. I've just transferred. I've basically benched myself permanently. <laughs> Life is busy, and there's a lot going on. And and also, I feel really lucky to have to have witnessed what I have in the women's game and to go out with my last women's football podcast being the final, the Euros final, where I get to go to Wembley and experience it on my birthday. I don't think you can top that. So like Jill Scott and Ellen White, uh, but maybe not quite as high profile. Uh, (laughs) I am hanging up my microphone on that one. But yeah, do catch the new season, by the way. Lindsay will be joined by a series of experts, commentators and former players every week. So do check it out. to our final topic on the show today the greatest goal that never was inspired by events at the weekend uh, Lindsay you were at this game as Brighton took on Leicester City Alexis McAllister with a wonder goal except it wasn't oh you know what <laughs> I I felt for him so much you can't really disagree because I think there was an offside in the build-up but when you unleash with your left foot a rifled shot like he did. It just arrowed into the top corner. Everyone wowed at the same time. So you heard this collective, ooh, (laughs) only to see the flag then go up. VAR um, got involved and looked. So it was one of those where you really felt for him and you wanted him to get some justice. He did. He scored an absolutely amazing free kick afterwards at the end of the game. That was the fifth goal. But he could have had a hat trick because he also scored a penalty in this game. So I'm sure there will be a lot of what ifs and coulda, shoulda, wouldas. But it did make me think about other goals where... It might be ones that we've seen, ladies, or ones that we remember or have read about that were just brilliant but never will stand. When we look back in history books over time, it won't be there, just like McAllister's won't be there. Yes, that's true. Um, Hayley, you've been digging into your treasure troves. What have you come up with? The greatest goal that never was. Okay, so I will give you greatest goals that never were, but <laughs> I just found some really funny stuff whilst having a look at this, and it's goals that, that stood that shouldn't have stood, which I know is a completely different take, but I'm gonna post a little clip on social media and I'll, I'll, I'll at and swipe through the offside rule as well on my, on my Instagram. It was Ajax playing against a German side in, in European competition, but it was um, it's absolutely hilarious. It's an absolute wonder goal that wasn't supposed to be a goal, okay? They were Ajax trying to play the ball back, okay, after an injury. Instead, the long kick went all the way into the opposition's net. So gifted, gifted them a goal. They're trying to play the ball back to the opponent. Ajax then, in, in good kind of sporting, um, what do you call it? In good sporting fair play, allowed the other team to then just score and make up the goal. But I, I love stuff like that that's quite funny, goals that weren't supposed to happen. Hayley, whilst we're on this subject, I've got a, another example of a goal that shouldn't have stood. I know it's off topic, but I'll mention it quickly as we're there. I actually thought it had been chalked off 
But it turns out it wasn't. Bayer Leverkusen, uh, Stefan Kiesling put one past Hoffenheim in the Bundesliga. This is back in 2008. But the goal scorer, Kiesling, was was really subdued afterwards. And that should be a big clue to the referee, shouldn't it? But when you looked at where the ball was, the ball was in the back of the net. So why was the player subdued and the ball in the back of the net? Well, it wasn't until a replay showed that the ball had struck the side netting on the outside, gone through a hole in the net, and that's how it ended up at the back of the goal. So it wasn't a goal, (laughs) but whatever technology was around then in the Bundesliga uh, didn't help the situation at all because the goal, bizarrely, still stood. So even though a replay showed that it had gone against the side netting through a hole in the goal and into the goal, and that's why (laughs) it was there, it still stood. Absolutely bizarre. (laughs) Um, Let's get back on topic. Lindsay, have you found anything else? Yeah, I mean, you always accuse me, you two, of going (laughs) off topic. Can I just say... I'll get back on topic. I'll get us on topic. I'm going to give you... The one for me that stands out the most is Edinson Cavani. Because if you can score any type of goal, if you can score a goal that is a first-time volley, a bicycle kick... And it bounces off the underside of the crossbar and over the line. That has to be the dream goal, right? That, In my yeah. mind, that is what the dream goal looks like. If you're playing for Napoli against Barcelona at the new Camp or Camp Nou, then that also plays into this. The only consolation when this happened to Edison Cavani, because he was ruled offside in, for the goal. Oh, I mean, I'm laughing, but it's, it's actually nervous laughter because I don't know what I'd do if it was for me. <laughs> But um, the only consolation is that it was a pre-season game with Barcelona and it was for a pre-season trophy. It wasn't in the Champions League. If it had have been in the Champions League, I I might have retired. I might have gone, you know what, that's it. I've done my best and it's not going to stand, so... Yeah, I've got a great one. It It was an incredibly taken penalty but didn't stand. It was in Russia. It was in a random game in, in, in the Russian league. Why do you think it didn't stand? Why do you think a wonderfully converted penalty with the goalkeeper actually diving to save it, couldn't save it, it was scored, but didn't count? Oh, I don't know. It was because a fan ran onto the pitch. They were taking ah. so long to decide who was going to take the penalty. <laughs> yeah. The fan had enough time to make his way from the stands, run onto the pitch. He just stood there. Everyone was kind of looking in disbelief. And he actually took the penalty. It was really well taken and he scored. And it stood. No, only, only joking. Um, no, it didn't, <laughs> obviously. Um, but yeah, imagine that. You'd, you'd just be a legend forever, wouldn't you, really? Mm. Even though you'd have been dragged off and, and maybe taken to a police cell and God knows what would happen to you in Russia. But <laughs> yeah, there oh, we gosh. go. That was quite funny. All right, well, let's wrap things up just there. All those goals, unfortunately, never stood in the end. Time for a quick bit of any other business, both of you. I'll chip in with mine, first of all, and it involves urination. Yes, that's right. Oh. On Saturday, Hampshire side Blackfield and Langley FC played against Shepton Mallet in the FA Cup's first qualifying round tie. But in the 65th minute, Blackfield's mm-hmm. keeper was shown a red card. Why? He decided to urinate in a bush at the side of the pitch while retrieving the ball for a goal kick. I, I, I don't want to know what was going through his mind. I know I'll get this oh. ball and I'll have a quick pee at the same time. Uh, Shepton Mallet FC tweeted, Blackfield keeper is sent off for urinating in the hedge. Never seen it before. <laughs> Let's hope we don't have to see too much of it again. Uh, who else? Oh, dear. 
Uh, football can be a beautiful thing. And mm. I, I don't know whether you've um, watched Fulham earlier on this season, but you might have seen that Jay Stansfield got some minutes for them. He has since gone out on loan to Exeter, but let's give you more of the backstory. So in 2010, Exeter striker Adam Stansfield um, unfortunately died of bowel cancer aged just 31. The club retired the number nine shirt after he passed away. So let's fast forward to Stansfield, Jay Stansfield, his son, now going oh. back on loan to Exeter from Fulham, 19 years old. And what number shirt has he taken? That retired <gasps> nine. number nine. Oh, what a lovely, well, kind of a heartbreaking story, but with mm. a, a really heartwarming end, I suppose. Goodness me. Hayley, do you have anything? I just had a quick little one. It's just a... Uh, you know, there's no Wagatha Christie anymore. We don't have too many oh, wag stories another. going on. So, um, no, it's just, it's it's a nice story. But uh, we were thinking that Kepper might have, you know, moved on deadline day. But he did have a big announcement on deadline day. And he kind of teased everyone with, oh, something major to announce here. He got engaged. <laughs> oh. got engaged to, to Miss Universe. Yeah, what? Miss <laughs> Universe. I know. The guy is, he's absolutely punching. Um <laughs> Yeah, I know Not she's, she's Miss England or Miss World, but Miss, Miss Universe, Miss Spain, the Miss whole universe, entire universe, the whole climbing. entire universe. So there you go. <laughs> okay, congratulations to Kepa. Uh, all right, thank you so much for listening. If you've been tuning in, and for your feedback about the show, if you want to share anything with us, head over to at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Lindsay, I gather you are covering some of the Women's Super League deadline day that takes place on. Thursday this week should be an exciting one yeah I'm going to look forward to that um something that we didn't cover in any other business um I am doing WSL this weekend I've checked in advance Kate mm. there are no 10 meter high stairs I would have to climb <laughs> oh my to get god over to Lisa's yes. Twitter to know this. what she's talking about so you basically missed a live slot so you a missed... team news hit on soccer yes. Saturday yeah yes but you have to be there for a specific time to meet your hit and you couldn't get there oh. Lindsay because I couldn't get up the ladder <laughs> Honestly, it was terrifying. It was the highest, it, 10 metres, no exaggeration. There was a bit of rope dangling down where you oh could God. put your bag and, and tie oh. it in to get it get it like up. But we also, because the reason I missed the team news hit is because the cameraman had already set up there and it, it was actually quite dangerous as well because when you're standing doing those hits, there was actually nothing keeping you on the country. Oh so gosh. I really didn't want to go up there. And I, I've never done that before, but I just said, we're going to have to move. And he had to lower all of his kit, his tripod, his lights, his camera, using this rope. Oh my gosh, honestly. So um, yeah, frightening stuff. Uh, check that out on Lindsay's Twitter. Um, Hayley, I'm sure you're back in the Sky Sports studios very soon, and I know that you're on air very soon, so we'll let you go. We'll, we'll let you yes. all go, actually. Take care. Yes, until next time, listeners, goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to The Offside Rule, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at offsiderulepod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Athletic. Sports 
Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.